welcome to this episode of On Finding Peace, brought to you by Life's Journey Life Coaching. Our host, Chris Shea, is a counselor, nationally recognized speaker, and author on topics of guiding us to finding peace in our daily lives. Learn more about Chris Shea by visiting his website, www.lifesjourneyblog.com. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of On Finding Peace. I'm your host, Chris Shea, and this is the podcast where we talk about practical tips that we all can do on a daily basis, which can lead us to finding our inner peace. I know that inner peace is possible. I've been without it. I've found ways to get it. And on this podcast, we talk about ways that we can find it and keep it on a daily basis. I'd like to welcome everyone to this episode of On Finding Peace. And it is my pleasure to be joined today by my guest, Rabbi Friedman. And he has been all around the world uh, speaking on many very large platforms and media outlets and very pleased that he's taking the time to join us on our podcast to share with us his wisdom on how we can find inner peace within our lives. So thank you very much, Rabbi, for being with us. It's a pleasure. Wonderful. Very good topic. Oh, inner peace is one that's uh, near and dear to me, so I can't wait to hear Uh, some of the insights and wisdom that you've gained. But before we jump into that, uh, if you can tell us a bit about yourself and what brings you to this stage of your life. We started a program in about 1971, uh, a crash course on Judaism, the philosophy and practice of Judaism in uh, Minnesota. I live in Minnesota, and it's been going on ever since. And the women come from all over the world, actually, uh, for two or three weeks, up to a month at the most, to get this crash course. And of course, the subject that comes up most often is family, purpose of life, what is the future, Questions that have always been asked and probably will always be asked. So these are the fundamentals. This is like life itself. And uh, the result of all of those conversations, classes, discussions, is kind of summed up in the book of uh, the joy of intimacy. Because without intimacy, uh, we, we basically are alone in the world. And that is a horrible feeling. So what is intimacy? What has happened to intimacy? When did we lose it? Where did we lose it? (laughs) Do do you really believe that we have, generally speaking, lost a sense of intimacy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the media, the pornography, the liberal uh, attitude towards personal relationships, Everything is experiential, experimental. Mm -hmm. There are no rules. There are no guidelines. And we've lost it. 
we've replaced it with um, basically with narcissism. And being narcissistic does not allow you to really bond with another person. Oh, exactly. And that's where, as you say, we've led into narcissism. In my thinking of that, that would be the only valid conclusion that if we remove intimacy from our lives, isn't that the only thing that we would have left? Yeah. Also, if we remove God from our lives, then uh, our needs or our drives or our purpose becomes the ultimate purpose because there's nothing bigger than my need or my belief or my happiness. Right. So yes, we've become a very inward, self-aware, self-centered, and, and it makes us so weak. It has made us so fragile. You know, we can't, we can't handle a microaggression. <laughs> we can't survive a paper cut. <laughs> I, I, I know what you're speaking of. Yeah. <laughs> um, where do you think we lost that? I mean, what do you think happened? And, and the only reason I'm asking that question is if we know where, when, how we lost that, we might know how to regain it. Yeah. Uh, well, if we compare ourselves to a previous generation, our grandparents didn't have much, but they had each other. Right. We have much. We don't have each other. So if we've replaced the people in our lives with things in our lives. And it seemed for a moment like a good idea. Finally, we can have things. We don't have to be poor anymore. We don't have to be impoverished anymore. And it felt like a liberation. But then we found that we were enslaved by those things. That's, that's pretty much a... So what, what defines intimacy, uh, which is what I'm writing about in the book, intimacy means the ability to connect to a person beyond all the things about the person. Never mind his possessions, his money, even his qualities, even, even personality traits, uh, abilities, talents, those are all things. Mm -hmm. And you can appreciate them in a person, but not to the exclusion of the person. And that's really what's happening. So in, in what you're saying, it's not the things themselves, but the way we treat those things in relation to people. Well, it's, it's allowing those things to become more important than the people. Right. So <clears throat> if I marry somebody for their money, if I claim to love someone for their money, I never really loved them at all. I just love the money. So it's not like I loved you for your money, but now you don't have money, so I don't love you anymore. No, I never loved you. It was always the money. Right. So if I marry you for the money, I'm not marrying you. I'm married to the money. 
Because when the money disappears, I don't even know what you're doing there in my house. What are you doing in my life? I don't need you. Never needed you. So if I marry you for love, am I married to you or am I married to the love? That's a scary thought. So, e so even love can become a thing that prevents me from connecting with you. So how does my love for you become more important than you? Now that, that's, that is really weird. Like how does my belief in God become more important than God? So that when I believe in him, he's great. If I don't believe in him, he's nothing. Right, exactly, exactly. Or we so, make him into what we want him to be. Right, so if I love you, you're the most important person in the world. I stop loving you, you're garbage. Now that's really, I mean, if that's not narcissistic, I don't know. <laughs> My love makes you important? You have no importance of your own, like organic, essential importance? No, only my love makes you important. That's really, it's distorted. Very much so. And my fear, though, is that we've gone so far astray in a very short amount of time, I believe, how do we even begin to start getting back to it? I mean, are we just so far away from it that we have to wait for another generation? Like, what do we do? Yeah, the, the, the reasonable lie can endure for a long time. A ridiculous lie has a very short lifespan. Because <laughs> it is so ridiculous. How, how is it going to? So communism, for example, right from the start, it had about a 70-year lifespan, shelf life, because it's so empty. It's so false. It, there's so, it's so insubstantial. It sounds good, but it wasn't going to go past 70 years anyway. Right. So the timing of the book, the way we were planning it or thinking about it, is anybody re ready to hear this? Is anybody willing to listen to this? And the thinking was, people are so desperate in their aloneness, not lonely. We're not lonely. We're very sociable. We party all the time. We're hardly ever alone mm -hmm. physically. And yet there's a, a, an alone feeling deep down inside that with all these people around me, I'm on my own. I am alone and adrift in the world. So I, I think the desperation or the rejection of things as they are make us pretty ready to hear the alternative. So I hope, I think, we, we've had it with the narcissist. We don't want, we don't want any more. Don't ever tell me what's good for me. It's coming out of my ears. I don't want to hear it anymore. So I think when people say, can we just leave me alone? You know, what they're actually saying is, leave the me out of it. Tell me something right. smart. Tell me something valid and, and important. Don't focus on me enough already. I'm drowning in this. Get me out of me. Don't drag me in further. So even 
you know, with the goods. And, and I think we've seen a lot of movements, especially in uh, people trying to become minimalistic and, uh, you know, remove their goods. And, and I think they're starting to understand. But social media, that's all about the me. And it, it seems that people, you know, maybe certain platforms they're getting away from, but they're moving into different platforms. And yeah. I don't know how that, that's going to be shifted. Well, the answer is not going to come from technology or the media. It's got to come from within. Um, everything, everything around us encourages narcissism, even therapy in many cases, but how does that make you feel? Can we stop talking about me? <laughs> no, 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 uh, I, I, obviously that gets you really angry. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> how do you get away from this me monster? Exactly. So by eliminating things, you know, by, by blaming the things, we're not gonna solve any problem. We have to find the alternative to the things. And then you can have all the things you want and it won't get in the way of your life. So if I find a life, if I get a life, then fine, I can have all sorts of things and I don't depend on them for meaning. We get very frustrated when we depend on things to give meaning to our lives. And now we're dis disappointed, we're, we're, we're shocked at the end that it didn't work. Like, even a career. A career is a thing. Mm -hmm. You can have a good career, a big career, and not such a good career. It's a thing. It comes in different sizes, different shapes. And for a long time, we thought that a good career can give meaning to your life. But it doesn't, of course. Right. In fact, people with really good careers are, in a sense, more likely to get depressed than people struggling. Because when you struggle, you're busy. <laughs> you have no time for depression. But when you can afford, when you can afford a depression, you're gonna you're gonna fall into it. So, the, these things are not a replacement for life. When you do have a life, you don't have to get rid of things. There's nothing wrong with being rich, as long as you don't think that rich is synonymous with life. Right. So it's all about perspective. It's how I view these things and in relation to myself. Yeah. Hopefully not in the narcissistic myself way, but. Yeah. So what, what do you wake up in the morning for? If you don't have a good answer to that question, you got a, you got a problem. So if, if it's all ego and I got to go to work, make more money so that I can be proud show off what I, that, that is not a good reason to get up. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. But here's an interesting definition of health and okay. illness. Because in the medical world, we don't really have a good definition of what is, who is healthy and who is ill. We know when we have symptoms, but, but we, don't, we don't have a definition for life and therefore we don't know whether we're getting closer to life or moving in the opposite direction right. 
A healthy person, this I think a fantastic description. A healthy person is someone whose body is in balance. It yeah. therefore does not distract your mind from pursuing the purpose for which we exist. Is that fantastic? I, I love that. A healthy person is someone whose body being in balance does not distract the mind from pursuing the purpose for which we exist. And that, I mean, that sums it all up in yeah. one, one little sentence. Right? I, I love that. Although it does strike for me the next question, why do we exist? Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's the question we ought to be asking. Exactly. <laughs> See, that's, that's not a question that comes out of, out of uh, problems or out of failure. That question is the ultimate human pursuit. So that's, that's a good question. But, but the consequence of this definition, you, I call a doctor. And I say, doctor, I got a serious problem. My legs are numb. I can't walk. The doctor should ask me, where do you need to go? Interesting. Imagine he asks me, uh, where do you need to go? And I say, well, actually, uh, I got no place to go. And the doctor should say, well, then you're fine. <laughs> you got no place to go and you can't go. Perfect. What's your problem? You're in balance. You're in balance. <laughs> You're in harmony with the universe. <laughs> a guy says, you know, I, I can't breathe. Doctor, I can't breathe. Why do you need to breathe? I don't know. It just hurts when I don't. <laughs> so here's the point. If I have an appointment... I have a, a, I have a destiny and I got to get there. Anything that interferes with my getting there is an illness, needs to be cured, fixed. But if I have no appointment, I got no place to be, I've got nothing I ought to be doing and I can't do anything. So what's the problem? So by definition, if we don't have a purpose for which we exist, then nobody's healthy and nobody is sick. You just are what you are. So if you can't breathe, so you can't breathe. You can't right. jump over tall buildings either. Exactly. <laughs> and you can't run faster than a, than a, than a train and, <laughs> or, a, or a bullet, right? You're not Superman. So you can't fly. You can't, you can't uh, climb up straight walls and you can't breathe. You know, that's how it goes. Right. So what's your problem? If you can't climb up straight walls, that is not a problem because it does not interfere with your fulfilling the purpose for which you exist. But not being able to talk can interfere. Not being able to hear can interfere. You can jump over tall buildings. That's okay. You don't need that. So what makes us either healthy or ill, <clears throat> whether, whether you're capable of pursuing your purpose? So a guy who is athletic has the use of all his limbs and they function perfectly, but he wakes up in the morning and he doesn't know why. 
He's a sick guy. And then you have, God forbid, a person who is paralyzed, can't walk, can't move his arms, but he wakes up in the morning enthusiastic. He's a healthy guy. So that's a real turnaround. So it, it is all about finding meaning in life and purpose in life, but not necessarily in the sense of the ultimate philosophical question, more in the, what is my purpose for life? Yeah. Which I would assume that that would help us to find more of that peace within ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there are people who get up early in the morning and jog mm-hmm. or, or lift weight or do yoga or whatever it is that they do to keep themselves healthy. But then you ask them, why do you want to be healthy? Well, I'll live longer. Live longer for what? Right. If they don't have an answer, then they should stop jogging and find out why they wake up in the morning instead of how to wake up in the morning. (laughs) Figure out why, and you're better off. The how is just a technicality, but why? Now, we have an interesting phenomenon where children today are saying things that sound a little scary. Like you ask a 10-year-old to put his toys away, And his reaction is, I didn't ask to be born. Very common. I've heard that. Yes. (laughs) And parents panic. Oh, the kid is suicidal. The kid is depressed. So off he goes to the psychiatrist and they put him on pills and antidepressants and whatever. And it's just a downward spiral. What, what, What you're really hearing when a child says, I didn't ask to be born. You're hearing the truth. Brilliant, wise, insightful. Mm -hmm. Philosophers used to talk about this. Now 10-year-olds are saying, (laughs) I didn't ask to be born. That is such a simple truth. It's such an important observation. So when a kid says, I didn't ask to be born, the parent should say, she, neither did I. Neither did I. Yeah. Nobody asks to be born because we don't need to be. We don't need to be born. If I was never born, I would never complain. You wouldn't, hear a, you wouldn't hear a complaint from me because I'm fine not being born. Then the obvious question is, and you don't have to be a philosopher, once you come to that realization, if I didn't ask to be born because I don't need to be born, Uh, then what am I doing here? Exactly. So the answer has to be, whether you're religious or not, the answer has to be something that created me wanted me to be born. So this is not my need. I exist out of somebody else's need. I am needed. I have no needs. That is amazing. I am needed, and in order to fulfill what I'm needed for, I have to have needs that I didn't ask for. So I need to eat. (laughs) No, I need to stop eating, (laughs) but I can't. 
and I didn't choose to eat. I was born with this thing. Right. Three times a day at least, right? <laughs> and then I got to sleep at least eight hours a day. I didn't ask for this. And I don't need this. But the designer, the creator, for whatever reason, decided that I should be dependent <laughs> on clean air, which I can't find. <laughs> healthy food, which is just not available. Exactly. <laughs> and good sleep. <laughs> well. <laughs> How do you get that? So we're not doing so well in those departments, right? <laughs> no, we are not. <laughs> and yet we think we need it. We go crazy if we can't get it. But I need this. I need it. I don't need this. My real pursuit and objective is to find out what I'm needed for. I exist because I am needed, not because I have needs. My needs interfere with my existence. They weaken me. But being needed, that gives me strength. That's a reason to wake up in the morning. And that brings us full circle to what you were talking in, in the narcissism. That when we come to that realization that it's not my needs, but I am needed for something, yeah. that's taking it away from the self to yeah. whatever the greater purpose may be. So I don't know of any psychological system that actually says this, but it seems to be really true. I need to be needed much more than I need to be loved. Or I'd rather be needed than loved. Because to be loved, but not necessary, human beings don't do well. Right. If you tell me that I'm not necessary, but I'm loved, I don't buy it. Because if I don't even need to be here, what are you loving? And if I don't need to be here, but you love me, so I should be here for your entertainment? Is that... <laughs> because you find me cute? I mean, that's a pet, not a human being. You don't need a gerbil. <laughs> but they're so cute. Yeah. You love your gerbil. They are cute. They are, and they're lovable. And they're not important. Nope. But that's okay for the gerbil. <laughs> exactly. The gerbil isn't complaining about purpose of life. But we don't, we, don't, we don't accept that. A human being cannot live on love alone. We must know that we are necessary. And then if you also love me, it makes it even enjoyable to exist. But I exist because I'm valid, not because I'm lovable. So, so love, love has become a serious problem. Definitely agreed. And, and I really like how you're weaving this together because it does assume or presume that there is action. And that's one thing that I talk a lot about, you know, that it's not just the wanting something or as you're putting it with, with the needing, but what action am I taking towards this? So I, I appreciate that piece. But I also think our society confuses love and intimacy. Could you talk a bit about those differences 
Yes. Because I, I hear that all the time, and, and they're two very different things as far as my understanding is. Absolutely. Absolutely. See, love is a thing. You can have some of it. You can have more of it. You can have a lot of it. You can have real love, deep love, shallow love. It comes in, in 32 flavors. But it's not intimacy. Mm-hmm. Because intimacy is a non-thing. Intimacy means I can really connect with you without needing anything from you. So you are important to me by yourself, not for something that you are good for. So even even on the divine level, God created the world for what? Trick question. Uh, That it is. (laughs) He didn't create the world for a what? He created the world to have a who. Not for something, but for someone. He created the world to have us. Not to get something from us. Of course, to have us, we have to be on the same page with him. You know, we can't be running around doing ungodly stuff and claiming to be his. So he wants us to be like him so that we're compatible. But he wants someone besides himself, which is the ultimate divine humility. So intimacy means I need someone in my life. I don't need to get anything from them. I just don't want to be just me. So it's not loneliness, because if, if I need you to take away the loneliness, then I need you to entertain me and keep me company. But that's, right. a thi- that's a thing. If you don't do that for me, I don't need you anymore. Right? But imagine a person, God forbid, is completely paralyzed. And his wife takes care of him for 10 years. And then at the end of 10 years, he dies. And the wife is grieving. And you say to the wife, what are you upset about? For the last 10 years, what was he good for? Nothing. For the last 10 years, what did he do for you? Nothing. So what are you grieving? She would say, I had him, now I don't have him. What was I getting from him? What's, what, what's love got to do with it? Right. I had him. I was not alone in the world. What was I getting from him? Though, whatever it is I could get from somebody else. What I lost is him. That's intimacy. Right. The ability to connect to a person just person to person with no third thing between us. It's not like we have, oh, we have so much in common. Yeah, that's nice. Mm -hmm. So in a marriage, if a man says, you know, I love everything about my wife, 
sounds pretty nice. But then I ask him, yeah, but do you love your wife? He said, I love everything about her. Mm -hmm. I said, that wasn't my question. Do you love her? He says, well, what about her? I said, no, 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 <laughs> not about her, her. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. We've gotten so far from it, we don't even understand it anymore. Exactly. What, what is she without all the things about her? <laughs> so listen to this. If I love you for your money, oh, that's terrible. Then you don't really love me. If I marry you for your money, you're marrying the money. You're not marrying me. Okay, fine. It's not just the money. I also think you're gorgeous. Ah, so you're marrying me for my looks. It's still not me. I said, no, no, not just your looks. You're also very smart, right? So I love you for your money, for your looks, for your intelligence, for your family, for your, for your character, for your sense of humor, for your kindness, for your... That's polygamy. <laughs> I'm still not married to her, but I'm married to many things. Right. She's the only one who's left out. <laughs> so I am married to everything about her except her. No wonder she feels alone in the world. In a good marriage. And that's really what scared me. That people can be abusive and, okay, fine, you know, like, spank them or something and but a good marriage a functional happy marriage and you still feel alone we got to get this intimacy thing back exactly and that distinction of the things as you were just mentioning that what is true intimacy and not the love of the things and that i think is the biggest distinction because so many couples and relationships, that, that's what they're based on. And they do think that that's healthy. Even noble. Exactly. If I marry you out of love, isn't that noble? <laughs> no, it's narcissism. <laughs> you need love. Go to your mother. <laughs> the the if, root of all the issues. <laughs> if you need love you really should go home to your mother. Don't ever marry for love. It's a mistake. <laughs> and, and, you know, if, if we just took that quote out and assigned it to you, how many people would misinterpret your meaning? And that's the sad part about it. Yeah. Because they don't understand that. Okay. So let me explain it before they lynch me. <laughs> <laughs> You don't need love from your wife. You need your wife's love. That is hugely different. Exactly. If you need love, you could have gotten that from your mother. You want it from your husband. If you don't get it from your husband, will you go back to your mother? <laughs> <laughs> or will you find another guy? If you need your husband's love, you can't get that from anybody else. So here's how it works. When someone is important in your life, you ought to love them. Loving them does not make them important. 
love is the appropriate feeling in your relationship with someone important. But what makes them important? Well, family, marriage, teacher and student, partners in a business, they, they play a vital role in your life. So if they're vital in your life, they're not going away, love them. It greases the wheels and keeps things going smoothly. So love does not make the world go round, but, but it helps. Mm -hmm. So it's the icing on the cake, but we have created a life out of icing and we have no cake. And sooner or later, it's going to hit you. Like, what are you doing? There's nothing there but liquid sugar. <laughs> so, Which is good in small portions, but not large. On a cake, it's perfect. <laughs> exactly. But where's the cake? You know, sizzle is nice, but where's the steak? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so how do we convince the average American child that the brother he hates is still more important than the dog he loves. They're not convinced. So if you love someone who is not important in your life, they're still not important. If you love them very, 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 very much, they're still not important. <laughs> You're entertaining yourself. It's narcissism. Right. You love being in love. On the other hand, somebody is important in your life. Whether you love them or not, they're going to be important. And as long as they're important, love them. <laughs> well, why have cake without the icing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally agree. The, the, this is tremendous wisdom. And, and I know what you're saying we're, we're going to need to listen to this multiple times. And, and I encourage listeners to, you know, replay this because the distinctions that you're making are extremely important. There's some subtle distinctions, but they're extremely important. Yes. They're so fundamental. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I obviously have a long beard. I'm 70 years old and I have never shaved. Nice. Okay, so I've got a substantial beard. Somebody comes over to me and says, you know, I'm just curious. Do you sleep with your beard under the blanket or on top of the blanket? Huh. <laughs> and for weeks I couldn't sleep. <laughs> it just <laughs> ruined. Like I tried it under the blanket and it was like, I don't know, is that, the way it should be is I tried it above the blanket and I, I don't know. Is that the, and I can't make up my mind and they just killed my sleep. Oh no. You want to ruin a good marriage, even a good friendship. You sit down with, let's say the wife and you say, you know, I'm just curious, your husband, he, he really loves you. <laughs> you plant that suspicion or that question like, Oh my God, how, how am I, I think so. Well, I don't know. And now every little thing he says becomes, oh, he said that. I, I, then, then I guess he doesn't really love me. Right? And the same is true with sex. You want to ruin a, a, a couple's 
happiness, you just sit down and say, so you think the sex you're getting is pretty good? <laughs> That's it. You've killed him. There it goes. <laughs> there it goes. Now he becomes self-conscious. Now it becomes a performance. Now he's being judged. Now he can't function. Now he's on Viagra. <laughs> it's a downhill, you know. So intimacy done right doesn't allow it to become a thing. There's no thing. It's not a performance. It's not some thing you want to gain from the other person because that's really a subtle form of abuse. Right. If I need you to gain something for me, I'm abusing you, even if you don't notice. But I'm using you and using a human being is abuse. So a couple are intimate or whatever, they have sex. And afterwards, he says to her, how was it? How was it? There was an it. I thought it was just us. Mm -hmm. I thought this was personal. Where did the it come from? <laughs> and also, what do you mean, how was it? Weren't you there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what does this show? That engaging in the sexual pleasure for the sake of the pleasure means you are not there. You're in your own world. You never connected to me. And I never connected to you because I was busy with myself. Sex divides people. It does not bring them closer. Intimacy bonds you to where you're joined at the hip, inseparable. So that's why we need to know what is the difference between intimacy and recreational sex? And, and the answer is not commitment. Mm -mm. Everybody claims to be committed. Exactly. <laughs> committed exactly. to what? <laughs> committed to getting what I need from you. <laughs> we're it. full circle to the narcissism uh -huh. again. <laughs> and we're back to the narcissism again. Yeah. So, if you asked your grandmother, what happens in the bedroom? Your grandmother would say, nothing. <laughs> you say, come on, tell me. She said, nothing. And she's giving you the right answer. Yep. In a bedroom, there's just him and her and no thing else. It's a no thing zone. Yep. A bedroom should be sacred. You don't bring things into the bedroom. There is no it hiding in a closet somewhere. You have each other. You're with each other. It's perfect. So when you say, how was it? You mean, how was I? You're judging me? Mm -hmm. You just ruined the intimacy for both of us. Exactly. So if sex becomes a performance, if you're looking for the best sex in the world, or if love becomes your thing, the marriage is not real. You're married to the sex. You're married to the love. You're not married to each other. Exactly. If you're married to each other, it's always good to be together. It's not a performance. You're not going to raid each other. You're just going to have each other. That's intimacy. So 
our grandparents, <laughs> I hate to say this, but they were right again. <laughs> they didn't have many things, but they had each other. Exactly. And that's and that why made the world a difference to them. That's why we are as healthy as we are. But what's the next generation going to be? Exactly. <laughs> and that, that's what worries me. <laughs> but but it, it's great to know that there are people like you who are preaching this word and getting that word out, you know, through your book, because that does make the difference. And if we start working on that now, yeah. maybe we can look at a, a much healthier uh, future and generations. Absolutely right. You know, the most common reaction to the book, why didn't anyone tell me? <laughs> Because exactly. once you once you hear it, once you it, it it's so intuitively true. How come nobody said this before? Mm -hmm. This is a secret. <laughs> <laughs> but but it seems to be unknown. Well, if it's a secret, I'm glad you're letting it out. <laughs> Spilling but, the beans. Yeah, exactly, and. Uh, I will put uh, links to the book on the show notes. Uh, the title of the book is The Joy of Intimacy. And uh, Rabbi, this has been a wonderful conversation. I, I really appreciate your time, but more so the uh, wisdom and insights that you've shared. It's, it's really it tremendous. It was a pleasure. Let's do it again. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode, and I hope that the message in this episode has inspired you and given you some of the tools that you need to find peace in your life. If you have found those tools and you found this to be inspiring and you know of others who also need these tools, please share this podcast with them. Let them know of the opportunities out there that they too can find their inner peace. Thank you very much for the sharing. Thank you for listening. And have a very mindful day. Thank you for listening to this episode with Chris Shea. Learn more about Chris Shea by visiting his website, www.lifesjourneyblog.com.